Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 148. Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. I'm a happily married man with three healthy children that I love very much. I have a business that I absolutely love to work in. I mean, I, I don't even consider it work. I'm so passionate about it. You know, so with that, quite humbly, I consider myself successful. Now, I'm far from a millionaire. I, you know, I, I don't have private planes and I don't have stacks of money. I don't have any of that, but I don't necessarily need that to feel successful. And, and I think that's one of the most important things that people need to understand is you define your own success and you choose your habits, which will ultimately determine whether or not you're successful. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hustler. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to, to make that money. I want to be financially free. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to do some, some cool things and have some nice things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but, but as a 38-year-old now, that's not my barometer for success anymore. It certainly was in my early 20s, but it's not anymore. And, and I think those are probably the two biggest lessons for people to take away. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, Alan Stein. Alan, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Rob? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Well, first of all, congratulations on all the great things you're doing out there. We're going to dive into that so our audience knows. Those who aren't familiar with you, however, could you give us a little bit of a background of who you are and what you're doing these days? Absolutely. Well, I guess to start, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a coach, and I'm a business owner, and I, I try and keep them in that order uh, to make sure that I give my life some balance. But as far as what your listeners are probably interested in, uh, I'm a basketball-specific performance coach, uh, which means I handle improving players' athleticism, uh, their movement efficiency, trying to minimize their dysfunction, You know, get them the old quote-unquote bigger, faster, stronger, uh, so that they can play the game at a higher level, uh, play the game with more efficiency, and play the game for longer before fatigue sets in. So I'm kind of a, a basketball strength and conditioning coach. So I, I handle everything except for skill work. Uh, so I don't do shooting, passing, rebounding, and defending. I focus on actual performance. I love it. I love it. And your voice is probably sounding very familiar to some of those out there listening right now. I know you're on a podcast. Why don't you introduce that to us as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I have a podcast. I'm a co-host of a podcast called The Hardwood Hustle. Um, you know, I've, I'd written a blog for about six or seven straight years and, and really enjoyed that medium uh, as a platform to kind of share my thoughts on success and performance enhancement and so forth. Uh, but to be quite honest got a little bit burnt out on the writing side and was ready to tackle something new. Uh, I'm an avid podcast listener. Love your show. Thank uh, you. And there's so many different podcasts out there that I just devour. I thought that would be a new, uh, a neat new platform or medium for me to tackle. And uh, we started that uh, about a year and a half ago. We're actually approaching our 100th episode now and have just had a blast with it. It's, it's fun to, to work on my craft as a speaker and as a co-host uh, but anytime I get to just talk hoops and talk performance and talk success and that type of stuff, uh, I just I just have an absolute blast doing it. Well, it's nice to hear it from from the horse's mouth, so to say, and of course your co-host as well. Kudos to him. But you guys have done a great job, and I've listened to yours and wonderful, wonderful podcasts. And, and not you. only is it is it informational, you guys have some fun on there as well. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you got to have fun with everything you do. Yep, always, always. So do us a favor. We were talking a little bit before we press record here. Uh, we like to start off the show with a quote sometimes, and I know you have a few up your sleeve. Uh, can you share one with us and what the meaning is to you? Absolutely. I've been a self-diagnosed quote nerd since I was in high <laughs> school, and I'm, you know, this is actually the year of my 20-year high school reunion, so it's been some time, and I've collected a lot. So it's probably hard for me to pick my absolute favorite, but there's a small handful of ones that, that mean the most to me. And I, I say if I'm going to pick one, uh, it's do the things others don't do, and you'll have the things others don't have. Uh, and I like that quote because you can also substitute the word won't. Do the things others won't do, and you will have the things others won't have. Uh, and that quote means a lot to me uh, in every aspect of my life. It means, you know, it, it means something different for me as a father and a husband, as it does as a coach. Uh, it did as a player. It does as a business owner. Uh, and I just find that if if you create positive daily habits, uh, and and habits are things that we have 100% control over. Uh, you know, that, that you'll be able to have a lot of great things in life. And, and I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about material items. You know, I'm talking about happiness and fulfillment uh, and, and feelings of achievement. Uh, and, and all of it starts by just doing the, the little things that we all know we should be doing, yet most people don't. And, you know, I, I've kind of termed that being in the 1% club. And, and I talk about that at all of my clinics, and I've talked about it on the Hardwood Hustle you know, that if you do the things other people don't do and the things that other people won't won't do, uh, that puts you in a very special club, the 1% club, which means 99% of people just aren't willing to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a brilliant way of approaching everything in life, sports especially, of course, but as you mentioned, bigger things like family and, and your loved ones. So thanks for sharing that with us. Now, Alan, I like to go back in time to figure out where all of this started, your podcast, your 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 teachings on the court, your performance enhancement, uh, great message, and of course, your, your quotes. <laughs> and t- take us back to like 13 years old. You know, I'm guessing you're a guy potentially probably who's playing multiple sports and always active, but uh, please, what was it like growing up in your family around that age, school and athletics? Uh, no, that's great, and it's it's fun to take a trip down memory lane. Uh, you you hit it on the head. Uh, always extremely active. I played just about every sport under the sun, uh, including some unconventional ones like martial arts, and uh, you know I was big into skateboarding and BMX biking, along with you know football, basketball, soccer, some of the more traditional sports. But I've just always gravitated towards sports and. And basketball was always my number one. That was always the sport that I was most passionate about. I enjoyed the other sports and activities, but basketball is really what drove me. And and as I got into high school, uh, now this is in the early 90s, you know, where where basketball strength and conditioning really wasn't a thing, uh, I did realize that I had some pretty good control over my conditioning level, um, that I, I could do a series of exercises and drills consistently to get stronger, and that would help me jump higher and perform better. Uh, of course, at high school age, you know, you're, you're worried about looking good for girls as well. So I realized that putting on a few pounds of muscle and, and filling out my tank top a little bit couldn't hurt. Uh, but, but that's when I really started to have an affinity uh, for performance and finding ways, you know, to raise my game outside of just working on my skills. And, you know, it was kind of a light bulb moment when I realized that, you know, I could actually make a living uh, combining two things that I was extremely passionate about, basketball and performance enhancement. And then, you know, as I got a little bit older, uh, the third tier to what I do, which is having a positive impact on young people, uh, which really, really means a lot to me, uh, the, to be able to make my living combining those three things that are so important and that I'm so impassionate about, I, I'm just extremely thankful. And, you know, that's uh, keeping focused on on those three pillars and staying true to those three pillars 
uh, have really opened up every single door for me, whether it's things I've done with Nike or things I've done with some NBA guys or even the hardwood hustle. Uh, they all go back to my roots of, you know, love the game and respect the game, uh, love and study performance enhancement and do everything I can to have a very positive influence over young people. Pretty, pretty simple to get into that 1% club, yet always challenging is, is I guess, the overall point here. But you, you were able to stick to your word and into your love, and you found that passion. Now, why basketball? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, given, given my age, you know, I grew up in the era, you know, uh, kind of coming on the heels of, of Larry, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. But really when Michael Jordan not only changed the sport, but, but changed pop culture, changed just about everything. And, you know, uh, even though I was a, a suburbanite white kid in, in Maryland, I, <laughs> my room was plastered with Michael Jordan uh, pictures and posters and memorabilia um, and just found everything that he did was just, just so inspiring. Uh, I think that kind of connection to what he was doing is, is one of the reasons you know, that I really gravitated towards basketball, but just, there's so much about the sport. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a sport that certainly combines athleticism, uh, but it also combines a high level of skill. Uh, it's a thinking person's game. I mean, I, I don't care what anybody says. You can't be a big dummy and play basketball at a very high level. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's like I said, I've tried all the other sports, so I can't say that I just started with basketball and had tunnel vision. I tried everything out there and everything always brought me back to basketball. It was just my favorite by far. Yeah, no, it's, it's really well said. And I can, I can gravitate towards that answer as well. It's a, uh, it is a fun game, <laughs> a fun game to watch more fun to always play though. Now, did you play in high school and in college? I did. You know, I was a, I was a fairly decent player in high school, just played at a normal public school here in Maryland and then uh, was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to at the time it was Elon College. It's now Elon University down in Burlington, North Carolina. Uh, it was a division two school when I went and they actually changed over to division one while I was there. Uh, and yeah, you know, just extremely fortunate to have the ability to, to have someone pay for my schooling so I can play basketball. Uh, love the school. It's a small school. Uh, it's four and about four and a half hours away from where I live in Maryland, so it was just enough of a buffer that I I felt like I was on my own and away from home, but close enough that I could pack up my stuff and come home at a moment's notice if necessary. So uh, the the whole college experience was a was a good one. Very thankful to be able to have played college basketball even at a at a small Division two school, um, you know, which. Uh, again, just I had some ups and downs during my college career, but it still signified that this is what I want to do with my life, that I do want to make my living in basketball and I want to make my living helping young people. And, and just thankful that I came up at a time uh, where the performance enhancement niche was, was untouched. I mean, when I, when I graduated college in 1999, uh, less than a third of NBA teams even had a strength and conditioning consultant. That's crazy. Uh, and of course now, you know, fast forward 15, 20 years, all 30 teams have a strength and conditioning coach. Many of them also have an assistant. Now you've gotten to the point where the top 25 or 30 basketball programs in college all have full-time basketball specific strength and conditioning coaches. And now it's even trickled down where, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm the, the strength and conditioning coach for the basketball program at DeMatha Catholic high school. So uh, it's really neat to see, you know, how that's, that's transpired over the last 20 years. Uh, but it was such a wide open niche when I got into it, that the timing was perfect. And, and I'm humble enough to know that uh, the timing is one of the main reasons that I've had some of the opportunities that I've had, that I've, I've been able to work the McDonald's All-American game and the Jordan Classic and all the Nike Skills Academies and travel all over the world 
because I was coming in at a time where there weren't as many people doing it, you know, for, for somebody now, and I get these emails every single day uh, from young aspiring strength coaches saying, hey, you know, I'd like to be the strength coach at the Nike Skills Academies. And, and I mean, that, that line is a mile long now. Thankfully, yeah. it wasn't when I was coming up. So uh, timing plays a huge role in, in a lot of things, but certainly in success. Yeah, it really does. Now, now I, uh, I, I thought I'd trip back over this. On your Skype page, you do have a quote on there that talks about success. And it does talk a little bit about that mile long as well, which is, and I do honor, by the way, the fact that you recognize and appreciate that timing uh, has some to do with it. And I think you're right. But it also is the grit and the hard work behind the scenes. Tell us about the quote that's on your Skype page and why that is so important to you as well, because I love that quote. Yeah. Are you talking about the one with, you know, success is achieved when no one's watching? Bingo. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's so true. And again, that really goes back to being in the 1% club, you know, that being in the 1% club requires you to have these daily habits when no one else is watching, when no one else is holding you accountable. And, you know, uh, that's where most of your success is earned. And and I'm a a firm believer. And and this is a, I mean, it was a book title from a Rick Pitino book, one of the books that, that certainly helped me have the light bulb go off. But the title of the book is Success is a Choice. And I think that's so powerful because most people tend to think, uh, you know, success is luck or success is divine right or success is based on who your parents are. And it's not, you know, we ultimately as human beings have full control over our habits. We determine our habits and your habits ultimately determine whether you're successful or not. So obviously you can cut out the middleman and realize we determine our own success. And, you know, part of the reason we get to do that is uh, we each get to define that for ourselves. You know, I don't let anyone else define what's being successful to me. Uh, You know, again, I'm a happily married man with three healthy children that I love very much. I have a business that I absolutely love to work in. I mean, I I don't even consider it work. I'm so passionate about it. You know, so with that, quite humbly, I consider myself successful. Now, I'm far from a millionaire. You know, I, I don't have private planes and I don't have stacks of money. I don't have any of that. But I don't necessarily need that to feel successful. And and I think that's one of the most important things that people need to understand is you define your own success and you choose your habits, which will ultimately determine whether or not you're successful. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hustler. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm trying to, to make that money. I want to be financially free. I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to do some, some cool things and have some nice things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but but as a 38-year-old now, that's not my barometer for success anymore. It certainly was in my early 20s, but it's not anymore. And and I think those are probably the two biggest lessons for people to take away. Yeah, you are. You're getting me fired up, Alan. <laughs> I love it. No, it really is. It's motivating. So here we are talking to Alan, who runs Stronger Team and also is the co-host of the Hardwood Hustle. Now, I did pick up on something in college. You mentioned that not everything was perfect. It rarely is for for any of us at any point of our lives. Can you mention some of the challenges you did face in college and what you learned from those challenges? Absolutely. I tell you, one of the the strongest characteristics I believe you can have uh, in a relationship, you know, as as a father or as a mother, as a coach, as a business owner, is that of empathy. Uh, Being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes uh, so you know how they feel. And that's been one of you know, my, my best tools as a parent, you know, when one of your children is upset, you know, uh, don't tell them not to cry. Take a second, take a deep breath and just think how, you know, how would I have felt if I was four years old and this same thing happened to me that just happened to my son? Empathy is a powerful tool. So back to your original question, there've been a couple periods in my life where looking back on it now, 
I'm not proud of the decisions I made. I'm not proud of the behavior that I had. I'm definitely not proud of the attitude I exhibited. But since that was the route that I did take, I have so much more empathy now when players uh, exhibit similar behavior. Uh, Case in point, uh, I went to Elon, um, actually got to play a lot as a freshman. I was really prepared. You know, I worked really hard before I got there. I played a lot as a freshman and I caught the complacency bug. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I had arrived. Uh, I, I felt that, hey, I'm a freshman. I'm starting. I'm playing a lot. I can just put on cruise control for the next three years. This job is mine. Uh, and as we all know, especially with the tone of my voice, you can tell uh, that's not the case, that you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say I got lazy, but I definitely wasn't hungry. And then coming back my sophomore year, I didn't put in the work to deserve to play. So rightfully so, somebody replaced me and my minutes went down dramatically. And And at that point, I had a choice to make. I could take the choice and say, you know what? I'm going to get back on this horse. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to earn my minutes back. I'm going to be the best player I can be. Or we can do what I did, unfortunately, which was get a very bad attitude, pout about it, and just say, you know what? If I'm not going to play, then I'm definitely not going to put any extra work. I'm going to do the bare minimum, just do enough to keep my scholarship, and you know, let's just keep on trucking. And, and again, uh, on one level, it, it sickens me and embarrasses me that I, that I had that attitude because that goes against everything that I now currently believe in. But I have to accept and embrace the fact that that was part of my journey. That's where I was at that age. And now that I look back on it, I have so much more empathy now when players, uh, you know, when they have a bad attitude. You know, it doesn't make it acceptable, but at least there's some understanding. And that's another quote I use all the time. Just because, you know, there's lots of things in life that are understandable, it doesn't make them acceptable. And, and looking back, you know, as kind of a headstrong 19, 20-year-old who thought I knew everything at the time, I can understand why I had that bad attitude, but it's absolutely positively unacceptable. And, and you know, as much as I'd like to regret that I acted that way and, and had that attitude, it did put me on the path that has led me to where I am today. So I, I can't be completely regretful and remorseful because all of these things line up. You know, uh, Where you and I are sitting literally at this moment is a, is a culmination of every single decision and everything we've ever done in our lives. Every single thing we've ever done has led us to where literally you and I are sitting here right now. And uh, because I'm, I'm happy and, and fulfilled with where I am now, I guess it's not all bad. But uh, you know, I know that was a very long-winded answer, but that was, you know, it's kind of the to, tale of two stories with me that, that there I was having this attitude that, that I absolutely can't stand today. And it goes against everything that I preach about today. Uh, but it was part of my journey. So it gives me empathy with, with the kids that I work with now. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an insightful answer and provides a lot of background on who you are today and, and the way you approach working with others. So I appreciate that. And, and I think you're right. Everything we do looking backwards, uh, you know, a lot of people say the forks in the road are ahead. I actually think the, the forks in the road are behind and you connect those dots, as Absolutely. you just mentioned, and that's why we're here. Uh, there's a billion things that could happen for you yeah. and I not to be on a podcast interview today. So I recognize Absolutely. that. And, well, you know, what's one of the interesting things looking back is uh, now, again, as someone who's hopefully a little bit more mature and wise, I can accept the fact that I had a choice to make. I had a choice to work hard and earn my minutes back, or I had a choice to pout about it and have a bad attitude. And at the time, you know, all I did was make excuses. It certainly wasn't my fault. It was the coach's fault. It was this fault. It was that fault. It was, the, you know, uh, but, but now, I mean, that was a choice. I made a choice to have a bad attitude. And uh, I, I think taking ownership of that, you know, is, is very enlightening and, and makes you kind of see the light. And, you know, I mean, I make mistakes every single day. I mean, as we all do. Uh, but, but looking back on it, that was one of the more profound times that, that, you know, I 
consciously chose the wrong path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's important to to notate that, and I really appreciate you sharing that with no, us. My pleasure. So, Alan, I know you had this aha moment when the light bulb went off for the fact that you can mix passion with a career. What was it? Was it in college? Was it literally out of college? Did you pursue something else, or when, when was that moment when you actually put the uh, the rubber to the road? Well, it was actually it was actually in college, and uh, both of my parents were in elementary education for thirty years. So I was raised in a household where education was certainly very important, um, and I knew that I wanted to do something with basketball. And at the time, you know, I, there really weren't that many options. So I went into college thinking I'm going to be an elementary school teacher because I, I really love children, and I'm just going to be a coach. And you know that that seemed like the dream scenario for me. Uh, so I started at Elon as an elementary ed major, and then my sophomore year. Uh, I started doing my student teaching and I was in a classroom um, and I don't even know that I've ever shared this story publicly, which is kind of a cool one. Uh, I was working with a group. I can't remember the age, but we were doing a project on leaves, like going out and collecting leaves and laminating them and naming them. And I just remember standing out there in a field and the first light bulb moment was I could care less about leaves. This means (laughs) nothing to me. And I don't feel that it's that important with all due respect to elementary teachers now and that there's no way that I can commit the next 30 years of my life doing something that I'm not passionate about. And I literally went to my advisor the next day and said, I'm passionate about basketball. I'm not so passionate about teaching elementary education. I got to do something different. And uh, and, in kind of a Hail Mary attempt, he he looked at the credits I had already earned and said, well, we have something, uh, a degree called sport management where most of your credits will transfer so you won't have to do an extra year of school. Uh, me at the time, I heard the word sport, sport management. I said, I'll take it and change my major right there on the spot. And that was a time where I, I, I kind of walked backwards into something that turned out to be very good for me because uh, as a sport management major, uh, half the classes I took were business oriented classes. The other half of the classes I took uh, were exercise physiology uh, type classes. So now looking back 15 years ago uh, to that decision where now I'm running my own business uh, selling performance training information and concepts and drills and exercises, that major was the most perfect major for what I'm doing now. And I just walked into it backwards. So uh, it was kind of the, the two light bulbs. The first one went off was there's no way I'm going to do this for the next 30 years. And then the moment that switch flipped, it was, this is exactly what I'm going to do for the next 30 years. And, and, and it was kind of twofold, but it was really cool. And, you know, I, I think I have so much respect for teachers, especially since both of my parents took that path. Uh, but I really believe, you know, teaching is one of those vocations. You have to be 100 percent in. You have to be 100 percent passionate about it, because if you're not, you're cheating children and, and you can't ever do anything to cheat children. I mean, it sounds very cliche, but obviously they're our future. And, and I just felt like, you know, uh, just being a teacher uh, because of a, a shorter work day and because you get summers off, it, that wasn't good enough. At the end of the day, I need to be very passionate about what it is that I am teaching. And now that I get an opportunity to teach basketball strength and conditioning and performance, I, I'm I'm just very blessed and very thank you, uh, very thankful. Yeah. Well, again, nothing. I think we're on the same page here. Nothing at all against teachers, but kudos to you for listening to that inner voice. I find a lot of people don't do that. They hear the inner voice and then they say, yeah, well, and they don't have the courage and, and, and I don't blame them, <laughs> but, uh, it does take something deep inside and you made that right move. You went in and said, okay, hail Mary, let's see what else is out there. And I just want to point that out because there's a big lesson there and 
trusting your gut and actually taking a shot on goal and seeing what's going to happen. Absolutely. So, no, you nailed it. And, and you got to follow your heart. And I, I think that's important. And it was, again, it was, now my parents have always been unbelievably supportive of me. So, you know, even though it was kind of a tough sw- a pill to swallow to tell them that, you know, I don't want to go on this, this kind of safe and secure path, which is what they had both chosen to do. I want to take this riskier path. And the reason it was riskier was because as I'd have already mentioned, basketball strength and conditioning really wasn't a thing. You know, uh, Michael Jordan had a trainer, uh, Tim Grover, who really added some validity to the to the industry, and a couple of NBA teams had some consultants. But outside of that, it was relatively untapped. So I'm talking about, you know, telling my parents that I want to go into a commission-based market that doesn't really exist. I mean, of course there were personal trainers and training for football was huge because those two things have always been synonymous. But to say that that I wanted to make my living doing performance training with basketball players, uh, that was certainly a leap of faith. But, you know, the good part is uh, I was able to take that leap then because I was young. You know, I'm 22, 23 years old. Uh, college had already been paid for, so I didn't have any debt. You know, I just needed to make enough money to to pay some rent and eat peanut butter and jelly for dinner. I mean, that's about all I needed. You know, it's, it's not like today where I, I've got a wife and three children that depend heavily on me. And, and even though I'm, I'm still uh, somewhat of a risk taker now, you know, uh, because I have people depending on me, you know, I'm not running to jump in the pool until I check to see there's some water in it. Uh, back when I was younger, you know, I mean, the worst case scenario was uh, you try it for six to 10 months. And if it doesn't work out, get a more conventional job to pay the bills until it does work out. It, it really wasn't that big of a risk at the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very thankful that it all ended up lining up and, and working out. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of believed in that cosmic feeling that if you're a good person, you serve others and you bust your butt every single day to be in the 1% club, things will work out for you. And, and I know that sounds very basic, but I, I've always believed that. And, and thankfully it's, it's been true. Yep. Servant leadership will, I don't think we'll ever let anybody down. So I think you're thankful, but also those you've worked with, and I'm sure they're in the thousands at this point are also thankful. So kudos again to you. Now we've, we've mentioned performance enhancement. Uh, and then you've also sprinkled in as a good teacher or coach would a bunch of things that would add to the overall word performance enhancement. Cause I hear that and I go, okay, I get it. And then I'm putting my mind, sorry, I'm putting myself in the, in the eyes and ears of our listeners, but things like habits, if we were to take one stab at building up this overall performance enhancement, um, goal, talk to us a little bit about habits for a second. And sure. That and, means. And, and I'll definitely circle back on habits because that's something I'm very passionate about. I will say that for the first, I mean, really up until about a year and a half ago, uh, my title was always strength and conditioning coach. And I think that painted a much clearer picture for people because they knew what that was. Uh, however, that title I always felt uh, was kind of confining that that what I do with basketball players is a lot more than just lifting weights and running sprints, that there's that basketball athleticism is so much more comprehensive uh, that you're talking about things like balance and hand eye coordination, the ability to decelerate, you know, so that's why uh, I've kind of self changed my title from strength and conditioning coach to performance enhancement coach. But with that goes educating everyone on exactly what that means. I mean, it it took 10 to 12 years to really educate the basketball community on what strength and conditioning was and why it was necessary to basketball. Now I'm in my next phase where I I wanted uh, the title to to really explain a little bit more about what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's very understandable if someone hears the words basketball performance coach, that it's a little vague. They don't really know exactly what that means. So I did want to clarify that. But, you know, as as far as habits, um, you know, for me at, at my age now, I don't really worry a whole lot about what people say. I put a lot more stock in what people do. 
Uh, I have players all of the time tell me, you know, I want to play college basketball or I want to be a pro or I want to start on varsity this year. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But you're saying the same things that every player in the world says. I don't really care about that. What I want to do is I want to watch you for the next 72 hours and I want to see your habits. And I want to see if your habits align with your words. You say you want to, you know, be a college basketball player. Well, your habits will tell me that, you know, uh, do you take care of your body? You know, do you eat breakfast every single day? Do you do this? Do you do that? Are you on point in the classroom? Are you, you know, a great teammate? Are you doing all of the things and have all of the habits that are required to play college basketball? And if you do, and your, your behavior lines up with your words, that's great. That puts you in the 1% club. But most people uh, just kind of talk a big game. They say they want this, they say they want that, but their habits say otherwise. You know, uh, I want to be a college basketball player, uh, but I really don't feel like getting up early this morning to get shots up. You know, I want to be a college basketball player, but man, I don't really like lifting weights. You know, I want to be a college basketball player. Uh, I'm good enough. I don't need to worry about the classroom. I, my grades aren't that big of a deal, you know, and, and that shows me that their habits, uh, you know, again, as I've said, are going to determine whether or not they become successful or become a college basketball player. Uh, so your, your habits are, are just unbelievably important. And, and by definition, uh, habits are things that we do consistently and things that we do unconsciously. We don't think about them, you know, to be a true habit. Uh, Now, in order to develop a habit, it's okay for it to be conscious. You know, perfect example, uh, I'm 38 years old. Uh, I have made my bed every single day, 365 days a year since I was 23 years old. I have not missed a day in 15 years. That is no exaggeration. And I travel a ton. So, you know, half my nights I'm in hotels where people will come in and make the bed for me and I still make it uh, Mm. because it is is such a strong habit now. Uh, But initially it was conscious. I I had to wake up every day and, and remind myself to make my bed. Now it's it's just on, on autopilot. I mean, I don't even think about it. It's just the first thing I do every single morning when I wake up. Um, uh, and, and science has shown that it takes about three weeks, about 21 days, give or take, to form a habit. And that's what I, I try to show people, that over the course of your life, three weeks is nothing. Just commit to doing this thing for three straight weeks, even though you have to consciously remind yourself – And then before you know it, it'll be automatic. So anyone listening to this right now, if you don't currently make your bed, I challenge you to make your bed every day for the next three weeks, for the next 21 days. And I'm willing to bet on that 22nd day, you'll probably just start making your bed without even thinking about it. And and, and that's uh, just kind of an analogy to any habit that you want to develop. Um, But And people ask me all the time, why is the making the bed so important? And, And I'll tell you, it's for me... To be successful, you have to have discipline. And I believe that making your bed is a sign of discipline. And I think for myself, this just clicks with me, in order for me to be successful and to feel like I have an edge over my competition, I want to make sure the very first thing I do every single day is something of discipline. And uh, it just gives me a mental edge that, that first of all, I'm an early riser. So I I mean, I I wake up early. I'm a nut. I woke up at four this morning. I was pumped to get some (laughs) things done before I was going to talk to you. Uh, But by 401, my bed was made. And in my mind, everyone that's my quote unquote competition there's no way they're getting up and making their bed at the same time. So it gives me this advantage. Uh, now, whether it gives me an advantage or not is absolutely irrelevant. It gives me that feeling and it gives me that confidence. And and that's just one example uh, of a habit that's extremely important to me. Yeah. Well, I am, uh, <laughs> I love it. And I, especially the, the, the hotel part. And I know this is maybe a little off topic, but I've found myself and my father instilled this in me as well as what you do at home 
and this goes into the habits, what you do on the court, what you do in the classroom is what you do anywhere. And so I remember one day walking out of our hotel room and we were visiting XYZ and the place was a mess. And my dad goes, where, where are you going? And we were like, well, we're going. The cleaning people will get this, right? He goes, there's no cleaning people here. They're, they're working hard, too. Let's make their job easier. And he showed that those habits that we could build at home should go right into, example, a hotel room. And that's just one of my little pet peeves, and I'm really glad you actually brought it up because it shouldn't stop. No matter where you go, it shouldn't no. stop. Well, yeah, and, and amen to your father. And, and that's another one of my quotes I'll pull out is how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, you can't be a quote unquote slob in one area of your life and then, you know, uh, be attracted to perfection in other areas. You know, I mean, it, it, things like promptness, things like, you know, listening to people with eye contact. I mean, those are the types of habits that that you need to have. And those, again, are tickets to the 1% club. But, you know, what's funny, what what started all of this now, I told you that again, I would never hide from anyone. I, I'm, I'm a hungry capitalist. I'm an entrepreneur. I do try to make a very healthy living. You know, I, I want to make uh, enough money that I'm financially free and that my family's financially free. I'm just not defined by money. But the reason that I started making my bed was I read a book, I believe it was called The Millionaire Mind when I was 23. Uh, and it was a guy that went and surveyed uh, thousands of self-made millionaires in the United States. And surprisingly, it was an alarming number. It was like 97% of self-made millionaires make their bed every single morning. And when I read that statistic, again, I was a little more superficial at that age. The goal was to be a millionaire. I wasn't thinking about things like happiness and fulfillment. I was thinking about making as much money as possible when I was 23. Uh, but it just clicked. And I'm like, you know what? If millionaires make their bed and I want to be a millionaire, I might as well start making my bed too. And uh, that was really what jump-started it. And then it was later that I realized, you know what? This is a sign of discipline, and and this is going to help me get to where I want to be. And and you know, I I, I always look back and, and smile as I reference that story because I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I've made my bed every day for 15 years. Yeah, you should be. You should be. I'm going to switch to parenting and coaching for a second, and I'm actually going to throw a little one of my own quotes out there, Thanks. and which you know has probably been said around the world, but it's mine, and I stick to it. Coaching is parenting. Parenting is coaching. You are now doing both. Wow. Does that resonate with you? Oh, boy, that absolutely resonates with me. And then there's tons of similarities. And <clears throat> we actually did a, a podcast topic on that. Uh, we recorded it this past summer. I think it released maybe two, three weeks ago. But but that was basically we wanted to talk about the parallels between parenting and coaching. And there are so many. I mean, they, you know, uh, ultimately, without sounding too cliche, you know, uh, when, when you're coaching, you want your team to be a family. You want to have that togetherness, that closeness, that mutual respect, that that accountability. Uh, and it's the same things that I, I want with with my children. Now, you know, what will make it interesting and and just for your, your listeners to have reference, I have four and a half year old twin sons and I have a two year old daughter. So oh, my wow. children are still very young, uh, even though they're active now, they they take swimming lessons and they take a soccer lesson and they do little gym and they're all in preschool and all that type of stuff. So they're very active, but they're still a few years away, you know, from really playing conventional sports on teams and so forth. But, you know, I do plan on coaching my children at the youngest of ages uh, because that is such an, an important and crucial time period in their life for development, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And, and I want to make sure that it's, it's done right. Uh, it has nothing to do with winning. Winning will be the furthest thing from my mind when I start coaching my children. It'll be about providing a platform for them to get the best experience possible. And, and it's not that I don't trust other people, but I don't think many other people are educated on how to successfully coach 
kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old that, that in our society, they put way too much emphasis on winning and playing time and doing that type of thing. And I don't want that. I want to make sure that the kids love the sport, that they, they learn how to get good at it, but they start developing habits that they'll be able to carry with them, you know, off the field or off the court. So I do plan on coaching my children when they're younger. Uh, and, and of course I can't predict the future. This is all just in my mind now, but by the time they reach middle school, it'll be time for me to hand them off and let them be coached by other people because uh, it's very important to me that I'm dad, that, that my kids look at me as dad first and foremost, not as coach. Uh, and, and I've had some coaching colleagues and friends that have coached their children all the way up through high school and even college. And that line has been blurred a lot, you know, that, 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 you know, they, their father son relationship has been strained because of coaching. And, and I don't want to fall in that trap. So I want to make sure I lay the foundation with my children so that they're set up the right way. And then I want to sit back and, and I'll be the, the dad, you know, sitting quietly at the top of the bleachers, watching my children and, and clapping for them and hoping things go well. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't plan on coaching him at the, the older levels because they are two distinct relationships. And, and as a coach, I, I care deeply for my players. I want what's best for my players, but I mean, my children are my children. So that's, yep. that's where there's a slight difference. Yep. And I applaud you once again for that. That is a very wise statement that I think a lot of people, and I'm not here to tell you how to parent. I'm not here to tell you anything like that, but I too built a business off of working with children that simply, it wasn't as though they don't like their parents. They want a different voice. They just do. And I want I wanted at the time, Alan, for parents to actually enjoy the experience of a game or of a practice and be able to relate in a loving way. And did you have fun as opposed to feeling as though there's this pressure to be constantly teaching, teaching, teaching when we do enough of that at home? And- oh, no question. I'm glad you hit that on the head. I actually uh, posted uh, a YouTube video uh, uh, about a week and a half ago called Rules for Basketball Parents. And um, thankfully, it's received a tremendous amount of support. It's been shared uh, by a ton of people. Um, and it's it's pretty to the point. And it's I, I just want to make sure that, that that parents understand because you realize that I've been doing this for you know 15 years now. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with sporting parents. I mean, I, I've seen some things that will literally make your stomach turn. And uh, it's just it's just unnecessary that that we should be supportive as parents, not trying to live vicariously through them. You know, as I said, I was a decent high school player. I, I got to play division two college basketball. I'm proud about that, uh, but I'm not hell bent on making my children NBA superstars. I mean, first of all, I'm smart enough and humble enough to know genetically that's not in the cards that, you know, I didn't produce offspring that, that give them a huge chance to play in the NBA. Uh, I would never squash their dreams. If my kids tell me that their goal is to play in the NBA, I will help them pursue that with everything I have. Uh, but I'm a realist. And as a parent, you know, we all look through uh, somewhat tainted glasses. And, and that's the thing that I think parenting has helped me the most with. It's given me appreciation that everybody loves their kids. They love them and they want what's best for them. And a lot of the, the idiotic things that parents do these days, they're done with good intentions. They do it because they love their children so much. And, you know, I, I find it comical that, you know, every once in a while you have a kid on your team that, you know, for all intent and purposes is a big pain in the ass. The kid's a pain in the ass. There's no other way to look at it. But even though that kid's a pain in the ass, their parent loves them as much as I love my children. And that just gives me 
you know, a, a much better perspective on working with that kid. Whereas I might have been much more short tempered with them before I have an understanding. And, you know, my own three children can be pains in the butt every now and then. And that's that's just a part of life. That's what children do. Uh, but it's, you know, it's very important to me that parents start getting this message and and that they don't try to live through their children, that, that they just be supportive. And, and for me, uh, it's really easy now because my kids are young. But as soon as they come off the soccer field or as soon as they get done at Little Gym or they get finished a swimming lesson, uh, there's only a few questions that I ask them. You know, I always ask them, did you have fun? That's what's most important, especially at their age now. Uh, I ask them if they were good listeners. You know, did they follow directions? Of course, I'm watching, so I know whether they did or not. You know, I asked them if, if you know, were they a good teammate? You know, were, were they nice to the other kids around them? Did they let other kids get in line for, you know, that type of thing? And then I asked them if they worked as hard as they could. Those are the four questions that I ask them after everything that they do, um, because to me, that's most important. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine that's the CEO of Better Basketball says that the, the best thing that you can say to your young children when they're done playing, the absolute best thing you can say to them is, I really enjoy watching you play or I really love watching you do, you know, whatever it is. And, and it doesn't even have to be sport. It could be playing a musical instrument. But just tell your kids that you really enjoy watching them have fun, uh, that that's so important. But, you know, we live in a society where everybody's so critical and, you know, usually and I see it even at, at things like Little Jim with four year olds. Kid comes out of the class and the dad immediately is saying, you know, why didn't you do that somersault better? Or how come you didn't do that? And it just it blows my mind. And then I can only imagine that that conversation continues in the car ride home, continues at the dinner table. And, you know, at the end of the day, just make sure your kids have fun. They work hard. They listen and they're good to those around them. And everything else is just going to take care of itself. Yeah. Two, two points. One, I was running a baseball camp and having some fun. We had some four-year-olds and I remember, I'll never forget the day. And I'm, this is a long time ago. So everybody's growing up now, but I, I remember a mom coming up to me, Alan, and saying, well, what's happening down there? I said, oh, they're playing pickle, you know, running back and forth, trying to tag people out. And then they're doing a fun game simply to just fall in love with the game. Of course. Uh, she goes, well, my, my husband doesn't, they run a full practice and there's three coaches out there and they're hitting ground balls and they're doing this, this and that. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't help it. I, I said, do you mind taking a walk with me? And, and I can provide some feedback for you take it or leave it and she said yes and we just had that conversation like really really that's that's what you want your three four year old to do right now and uh anyway i just i'm i'm hearing some of the ghosts in the past uh, but they're all learning lessons they're all of course all all learning lessons for sure well these are these are excellent points alan very now let me ask you this and just a couple questions left here because i know you have a busy day but just got off the phone the other day with bob bigelow bob is a a former, he went to Penn, played basketball, former NBA player back in the 70s, and he's going to be coming on my podcast soon. And so feel free to join or take the uh, take the, the contrarian view here. But he goes around the country speaking about how children really shouldn't be involved in organized sports until about 10, 11 years old, maybe even 12, basically until after puberty. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I, I would certainly love to have more of a, a discussion with him and hear more on his stance. I'm certainly intrigued by it um, and would love to hear his rationale. I mean, if, if his rationale was uh, partially for some of the things that I've just said, that parents are the ones taking all of the fun and, uh, you know, out of youth sports, uh, especially at the younger ages. And, and like you said, you've got a mom talking about running a major league practice for four-year-olds. Uh, that might be interesting. Um, if he's talking more about um, their development as far as their body, their mind, their emotional state, 
Um, I, I would take the contrarian and opposing view and, and, and certainly have a friendly debate uh, because I actually think that those the, the formative years of being six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, that, that that's a great time to start introducing the stuff basically that we've been talking about this entire this entire interview, yeah. talking about habits, talking about being on time, talking about being a good listener, talking about having fun. You know, don't worry about winning and, and doing those type of things. Um, I, I actually think. Uh, you know, that six, seven, eight, nine years old is the ideal time to start that. Um, but it, it doesn't need to be forced. You know, uh, right now my, my kids are taking an interest in doing a lot of this stuff. You know, if, if they said that they don't feel like going to little gym or I don't want to go to swimming or daddy, I don't like soccer. Uh, I would not be forcing them to do that by any means. These are all things that they're making a choice to do. Um, and, and I wouldn't believe in, in holding a kid back and saying, you know, I'm not going to let you do this stuff until you're 10 or 11. Uh, but if other kids are different, if kids don't really feel like doing a lot of this stuff and the light bulb doesn't come on for them until they're 10 or 11, I mean, I have no problem with kids waiting till then to start. Um, but, but to your original question, no, I, I would actually disagree with that. I, I think that, that some of the younger ages, again, if it's done correctly, if his whole stance is it's not being done correctly and that everybody out there that's coaching six, seven, eight, nine year olds is doing it the wrong way, I would tend to agree with him, but I'm not one of those guys that would say, you know, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm more of a fix it type of guy. And that's why I'm so big on educating parents and educating coaches and why I'm so adamant about coaching my own children, you know, from six, seven, eight years old up until 10 before I hand them off is to make sure it is done the right way. And, you know, but, but I, but I find that interesting and, and certainly would love to hear more of, of Bob's stance on that. So I look forward to hearing that episode. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, and great response. I think you're right. Is it, is it the source or is it something bigger that's going on there? So well, well said, and I would love to hear your friendly debate with him. That'd be fun. <laughs> well, if you think about it, so, so my kids go to preschool and that's where they are literally right at this moment as we do this interview. And my, I'll use my sons as an example. They're four and a half years old. Uh, it, now it's, it's a Montessori school. So it's a very hands-on. Um, it's, it's not like they're just sitting there staring at a chalkboard getting lessons. It's, it's, they're playing with clay. They're playing with sand. They go out and they climb on the jungle gym. They play tag. They have scooters. Uh, they play dodge. They do all of these different things. And, and all of these activities that they're doing are very physical in nature. You know, they work on balance and spatial awareness and coordination and, you know, uh, climbing up the jungle gym requires some strength and so forth, you know, so they're doing a lot of these things right now. And right now it's just called free play. Uh, so they're doing all of the things that are still required in sport. So if, if Bob's objection is that kids that age shouldn't be running and jumping and climbing and, you know, in organized sport, I would just say, Bob, they're doing all of that stuff right now. Anyway, they're doing it in free play. So whether or not, you know, they're wearing jerseys and those referees is almost irrelevant, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally, they're doing all of these things now. And, you know, one thing that I am a huge advocate of is free play. And and that's why we're so happy with the school that our children go to because their teachers understand that. I personally believe today kids are way overscheduled, uh, that, you know, that their parents have them overbooked. Now, I don't want to sound hypocritical. Again, my kids on Sunday, they do a 30 minute soccer lesson. On Monday, they do a 30 minute swim lesson. And on Thursdays, they do a 45 minute little gym class. Uh, so those are the only three things that they do that have tremendous amount of structure. Everything else 
they're at home dressed up like superheroes. They're playing <laughs> hide and seek. They're playing tag. You know, they're picking on their little sister sometimes. You know, it's 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 so much more free play, which is when kids develop their imagination, is when, you know, they get to explore and try different things. And that's so important. And, uh, you know, I would like to see more of that at the younger ages. So, again, if, if that was one of the things Bob is worried about is that kids are too overstructured and everything's on teams, he'd like to see the old days where kids play pickup basketball and pickup football, uh, then I would go back to agreeing with him if that was his point because uh, I, I do think kids are just way overscheduled right now and I don't want that I mean I dropped my kids off at school yesterday and a lady's talking about scheduling a play date with my kids and I'm like you know we don't need to schedule fun we don't need to schedule playing yep. just you know my kids are always in the backyard playing come over to our house anytime you want bring your kid and they can play together but we don't we don't need to schedule it and if we do get together we certainly don't need to organize it let them figure it out just put the kids in a room give them a couple of toys and let them go to work and and thankfully four and a half year olds that's what they specialize in their imagination and creativity is off the charts uh and it's sad that as we all get older that that kind of gets beaten out of us and we all start to conform and we all start to walk in these straight lines that's my favorite thing about having young children is they're just they're so free they say anything uh, they do anything. It's, it's really awesome. That's so great. One of my good friends, John McCarthy in DC runs home run baseball camp. He's been on the show. And one of the things he's done is he's got, a, of course, it's all baseball, home run baseball camp, right? But during yep. lunch, he throws out the soccer balls, the footballs, the wiffle balls. He sits back with his coaches. They supervise, of course, to make sure no one leaves the playground. And then he says, yep. go play and of course at first all the parents and the kids kind of look at each other like uh really like should should we go into the ocean you know (laughs) and then of course what happens everybody figures it out just like we did right Alan. (laughs) absolutely well he's smart to do that and i I think that's great and you know that's one of the things that's that's being lost on kids today is this the ability to negotiate that you know when i was coming up you'd go to the the park the outside park to play basketball and someone would have to have the initiative and leadership to step up and say all right well these are going to be the captains we're going to pick teams or we're going to shoot for teams and you know you've got to keep your own score and you call your own fouls and you know if you win you stay on if you lose you go sit and you wait till the end of the line and you know if there's 40 guys out at the park you're going to be sitting for a while so you know at that time uh doing the small things to help your team win are extremely important because you don't want to sit and watch but you know those abilities to to have free play and to negotiate and pick teams and call fouls and do that uh and 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 settle arguments and disputes you know uh professionally even though you're just young teenagers uh, that stuff is so important and that's what i want to make sure that my own children develop those skills uh, that, that I don't need people saying, all right, well, from four to five today, we're going to have a play date and you're going to have fun. No, man, it's, you've got to figure this stuff out all of the time. And, and, and that, you know, to me as a parent kind of less is more, I mean, always make sure that your children are safe, always make sure that they're being, you know, respectable and they're behaving. But, but after that, give them some leniency to, to figure some things out and, and so forth and not, tell them left, right, left, right, just let them figure it out. And, and I think that is so, so important uh, to their development. And, you know, I, I think it's good advice for coaches as well. You know, I, I've always believed that that during practices, uh, maybe not at the youngest of ages because kids aren't equipped to do it, but once you get into middle school and high school, that you should have a, a 10 to 15 minute block during your practice where kids can work on anything that they want. You know, if you want to get up extra shots, get up extra shots. If you want to work on your handle, work on your handle. Uh, you know, if you want to do some push-ups and pull-ups, do push-ups and pull-ups. But but give kids some ownership 
to figure some things out on their own instead of us treating kids like puppets and orchestrating every single move that they do. Right. Yeah. Well, Google, Apple, some of the best companies in the world do this in the workplace. So I, I'm pretty sure we could probably take some advice there and support what you just said and, and go yeah. do it. Uh, even I get the, oh, the lights aren't on yet. How do we turn on the lights? We can't practice. And really, can we can we just go in the corner and dribble the basketball or work on some yeah. hand? You know, there's always something to do out there. Absolutely. Or problem solve. Figure out how to turn the lights on. Someone <laughs> exactly. To, to, go find the, to go find the building service work. And, and see if you can, you know, politely ask them to turn the lights on. You know, there's uh, kids today just give up and they they quit so yeah. quickly, and and then they become excuse makers. You know, well the lights weren't on, so I can't get better today. Well yeah. the sun's out, so why don't you go outside and do something, or why don't you do this, or why don't you do that? You know, b- being problem solver, we have enough problem causers in this world. Well, we need more problem solvers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, two last questions for you. One is a story that I'm going to be looking for here in a second, if you don't mind. But first, Alan, how can we get in touch with you? I know we mentioned some things in the beginning, but just as a reminder, how can we follow you and learn more? I love what you're saying. Oh, I appreciate it. The, the two main hub sites. One, if, if you enjoy the dialogue we've had, this is all the type of stuff that we talk about on the Hardwood Hustle. So you can go to Hardwood Hustle. Dot com, uh, or you can download it for free in iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Uh, we put out two episodes a week. Uh, it's about a 30-minute podcast. We launch every Monday and, and Thursday. Uh, and then my main business is Stronger Team, uh, and just go to strongerteam.com. Uh, any of those, they have my email addresses on them. They have my social handles. Uh, I'm, I'm really big on using Twitter and YouTube as ways to disseminate stuff. Uh, and you can just follow me at Alan Stein or uh, YouTube backslash Stronger Team to see that type of stuff. If you want to see the, the Rules for Basketball Parents video I'm talking about, it's on the channel. Um, so I'm very active socially, very good about getting back to people with email, and you know try to make those sites worthwhile for people to check out. Always love engaging with people. So if anyone listening, uh, if anything I've said today has kind of resonated with you, uh, please, by all means, you know, follow, subscribe, email, reach out. Let's connect. That's great. Well, it sounds like you have a habit of some very well uh, time management skills as well. <laughs> so you're doing a lot. You're doing a lot. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. So thanks yeah, for sharing all that. We'll put all that information on your show notes. So last question here, as you're a, a coach and a parent, and, and this is what you do for a living, performance enhancement, when you reflect back of those that have taught you, coached you, it could be a teacher, it could be a coach, it could be a parent. Do you remember a time, a moment, a story that you could share with us that really just kind of hit home and made a big impact on your life at, at whatever age? Yeah, and, and there have been several. I mean, certainly, first and foremost, my parents, uh, my father in particular, um, you know, they've always been my role models. They've always been extremely supportive of everything I've wanted to do. I mean, they're very supportive of me now. I'm 38 years old, fully grown with my own family, and, and they still are, you know, they go above and beyond. So I have to start with them. And the number of, of moments when, when they've taught me something or opened my eyes up or helped me with something, I mean, we'd have to do a 20-hour podcast, and, and I would not take a breath to say all the things that they've done. And, and, and above and beyond that, I've had several coaches – uh, that have influenced me and impacted me in some way, shape, or form. And that's one of the main reasons that I'm so passionate about paying it forward and helping younger coaches now and, and setting up programs that when a kid reaches out and says, hey, I'm about to graduate college, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach, can you help me, uh, that I, I really do my best to do that. Um, but, but one I'll, I remember in particular, and this is kind of when the light bulb moment went off that I wanted to do uh, this for a career, um, was I was home back in the D.C. area during one of my summer breaks at college. I think this was uh, 
after my freshman year. Um, and uh, there was a, a local trainer who at the time was the assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Redskins. Uh, he's now currently the strength and conditioning coach for the Washington Nationals uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, and he kind of served as as my mentor. Unbelievable performance coach. But what I found very interesting was, you know, I, I decided to work out with him for the summer. And he basically at that point, most of my performance education uh, embarrassingly came from Muscle and Fitness Magazine. I mean, talk about a total meathead uh, that there just really weren't books. And again, you're talking about, you know, uh, mid 90s. So even though the internet was out, it wasn't the resource that we know of it today. I mean, it wasn't, it's not like you could just go on there and find anything and everything about strength and conditioning. So uh, muscle and fitness was kind of my resource on how to get bigger and stronger. And, uh, you know, with that is a very bodybuilding mentality. You know, I'm going to do high volume and I'm going to lift certain body parts by themselves and I'm going to do this and do that. Uh, and this guy basically said, Hey, you know, I respect what you're doing and trying to educate yourself, but everything you're reading in there is not the best way to train for basketball and to train to be an athlete. Uh, and of course, at that age, I'm like, dude, you're crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, how, how could Muscle and Fitness Magazine be wrong? And, <laughs> and he said, look, uh, just put your trust in me. I know you're, you're very headstrong. You're very passionate. I was the same way when I was your age. But let me train you for the next eight weeks and just give me your full commitment that you'll do it my way. And at the end of those eight weeks, if you don't like how you look, feel, and perform, then, you know, that's it. And that's fine. And uh, I, I somehow, even though I was very headstrong and opinionated at the time, uh, I put my faith in him and trusted him. And it was an eye-opening eight weeks. I mean, you know, his whole philosophy on training uh, was completely uh, almost opposite of what I was reading in Muscle and Fitness. And, and everything he said came true and everything he said worked. I mean, that was I was in unbelievable shape, uh, even though I had the, the bad attitude bug as far as playing time and so forth. I mean, that summer, I mean, I had the lowest body fat I've ever had. I was the strongest I'd ever been, um, even though I personally don't believe in doing the mile as a test. We had to run the mile at Elon. <laughs> I ran the fastest I've ever run. Um, I looked good. I felt good. I played well. I mean, it was, it was, it was insane. And that was where I was like, wow. Okay. And then I started studying his philosophy. He kind of took me under his wing and was a mentor. Um, and you know, that's really the foundation of everything that I believe now from a performance enhancement standpoint. And, and it, it came from a background of what was called HIT high intensity training, which focused on minimal sets, uh, you know, infrequent workouts, you're only going to strength train two, maybe three times a week. You're going to work your whole full body as a kinetic chain, not as individual body parts. Uh, you're going to take most exercises to muscular fatigue, which is the point at which you can't do them anymore. And you're not going to do four sets of chest fly and four sets of bench press and four sets of this and four sets of that. You're going to do one or two sets of three or four things, and you're going to do them as hard as you could do anything in your life and watch how you grow and get better. And it was, it was absolutely incredible. And, and I really give him credit as, as being someone that kind of poured the, the cold bucket of water on my head uh, to wake me up that I didn't have all the answers and I didn't know everything and, and kind of led the way. And, you know, uh, I, I know we can't go on much longer, but I probably have 10 other stories of people okay. that have had a profound impact on my life. But that's the one that that really started it all. Well, I'll bet you do. And 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 back by popular demand will be the show a couple of months from now because Alan, I'd love to have you back on. I really appreciate. Anytime. Yeah, man, you are. I appreciate the time. I'm a huge fan of your positive energy. Just that alone is is encouraging, and I and I really feel it even through the the phone here. And it's just fantastic. And I and I love your message. So please, please keep keep it up, as I know you will. And I know I'll be hearing a lot of you because I'm a huge fan of the Hardwood Hustle and.
I'll be following you on there. So, Alan, until then, hey, uh, have a great, great – I know the season's coming up here, the prime season. Have a great season, yep. and let's stay in touch. Let's absolutely do that, and, and please let me know when, the, when it posts, and uh, I would love to share this with my audience because I, I really thank you for having this platform to be able to tell these stories and share these things. The, the pleasure was all mine, Rob. Until next time, who are you, nation? 